Welcome to episode 311. Are you someone that's tried meditation a few times and can't get the practice going consistently? Possibly you've meditated for years on and off and yet it hasn't really gotten you where you want to go. Or you might just eye roll at the whole idea of meditation altogether as if sitting there thinking is going to fix me. And bam, therein lies today's conversation. We get deep on some ideas about how spirituality and religion actually get in the way of trauma healing because there is too much thinking. We discuss how modern psychology also keeps your suffering alive much longer than it should and how the only path to healing and recovery is to feel your feelings. I know that sounds a little vague, but trust me, this is part one of a very deep conversation into some profound healing concepts and tools that will absolutely change your perspective and your life. So let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome, welcome, welcome to today's episode of the show with me and future me. <laughs> that joke will make sense if you see the video or a photo of the man sitting here with me. Anyhow, in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. Interestingly, one of the things about mastering your relationship with food, and in fact, anything that has any type of emotional hold over you, is to learn more about those emotions and feelings so that you can deal with them. Often the reason people overconsume anything, alcohol, drugs, porn, TV, and of course, food, is that they do this to suppress those emotions and bury them underneath a block of chocolate, a bottle of wine, and way too much cheese. And so I think this episode is going to be incredibly valuable to anyone that has, well, ever had a feeling, basically. I'd like to introduce you to Matthew Zoltan, whom is the author of Undo and the founder of Quiet Retreats and the creator of the Undo app. Not only does this great man have a fantastic name, but in the 80s, he was or is the pioneer of the body-mind connection. And over the last 35 years has led hundreds of silent meditation retreats, directly helped more than 30,000 people, and has also released a natural meditation app called Undo, which is spelt U-N-D-O, which you can find inside the app store on your phone. I've been using it, and it's absolutely five stars from me. So during Matthew's seven years as a monk, which ended in 1986, he came to recognize the lack of relevance that traditional meditation had in real life. And I want you to take note of that word, the lack of relevance that traditional meditation had, despite the fact that these days we're told meditation will basically solve every problem we've ever had. So he set out to demystify meditation. His approach is not at all conventional, but it works immediately and is immensely effective. I've personally had an unexpected session with Matthew, which was a 30-minute catch-up call that turned into two and a half hours of me absolutely pouring my broken heart out everywhere. (laughs) And I can adamantly say that for me, this is the most logical, common-sense approach to healing emotional anguish that I've ever come across. There is nothing mystical or woo-woo about it, yet most people have never heard of anything like this before. And so now that I've fluffed it up enough, I reckon we've got to get stuck into it. So Matthew, welcome to the show. Wow, thank you very much. What an introduction. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was so, so glad to be here. Yeah, that was so good. Thank you. <laughs> so good, so good. I mean, I've been just so in your world in the last few weeks and absorbing all of your information. And I think it's so fantastic. And I think everybody here is going to learn so much. But I'd love to start in the space of that lack of relevance of conventional meditation. Because in the Western world, at least, or at least the world that I'm in, it really is the sort of the last thing in the line that everybody's told, well, just meditate. You obviously need to meditate more. Fix your relationship, meditate. Fix your body weight, meditate. And so why in this sort of era where everybody's becoming privy to meditation, are you sort of suggesting that it's actually, it's got a lack of relevance? (laughs) Okay. Well, it took me a while from a young person of 18 through to about the age of 27 to really, really understand the lack of relevance. Um, And that period was a period of actually living as a yogi monk. So I've had really first-hand experience of not just traditional meditation but taking that far into mm, uh, fairly outrageous spiritualities, if you like. Yeah. So the, the reason it has no relevance in day-to-day life and particularly now 
is because it's historic. Um, it's all been handed down. And one thing I've mentioned here is that what we're looking for in meditation is essentially to to know ourselves. You know, that's the first line. Why do we meditate to for self-realization or for our own enlightenment or our own understanding of ourselves primarily? And this it leads to an understanding of the world we live in and other people from the deeper understanding of ourselves, enabling that. But with uh, traditional meditations, it's not really about ourselves. It's about everything other than ourselves. So we're learning all these techniques, um, all these ideologies that have been handed down through the ages, and they're, they're trumped up a bit called ancient wisdoms. But I don't actually see wisdom being used in the correct or realistic terminology when we put ancient as a word next to it, mainly because once something um, is ancient, it's only remembered, meaning it's only now written in a book or spoken in a word or thought. Yeah, And thought um, and written in a book and spoken in a word is very fixed. Uh, and not relevant to an ongoing, ever-changing creature, not relevant at all. Not only that, as soon as the word is spoken, uh, then there is a feeling behind it from the person who speaks it, and that that feeling is transmitted between two people. Then we get a connection with one another, and that helps one another or one or the other gain some wisdom or insight into themselves. Now, what brings that wisdom or insight out of the other person, out of the person speaking, is sensing the need in the other person, which is absolutely unique. Day by day, it changes. So over thousands of years, it's not going to be there. So whatever you read about will not be about you or relevant to you. Whatever you hear from history is not about you or relevant to you. Uh, what is relevant to you is coming into contact with a genuine um, person or yourself as a genuine person and actually getting a real and honest response to you and your condition. And this requires, this to me is wisdom. When I interact with someone, there's a sense of knowing that transmits between the two of us or sense of understanding which which you had a taste of when we first met, actually, yeah? And it, it is genuinely there. I'm not saying I'm wise. I'm not trying to say that sort of nonsense. I'm just saying everybody has that. Everybody has a sense of knowing deep down in their bodies when they first come into contact with a situation or another person, but they tend to overlook that. And that sense of knowing is our initial wisdom about any situation. So... Once I say something, for example, and if it's, there's wisdom in what I say, as soon as you think about it, you may interpret that and your interpretation is going to be on the basis of your own thinking, your own experience and your own biases, uh, which is no longer the wisdom that I've expressed. So it doesn't take very long before that initial wisdom is lost. In fact, it takes one interaction. So this is why I say there's no such thing to me as ancient wisdom um, and but this, I'm still related to the question of why aren't all these traditional meditations working? Because the other thing is, with Eastern cultural gurus, meditation teachers, and very much Eastern cultural techniques, which is where meditation tends to come from, these people are uh, heavily indoctrinated over thousands and thousands of years to be a certain way. That's why all gurus dress up in the guru costume. Because they don't, that, you know, because they don't realize. This is my opinion, but they don't actually realize to what extent that condition is conditioning is embedded in their traditional techniques, in their traditional forms of thinking, yeah, you know, and talking about life. And so, even when they talk about karma or reincarnation, these are not wisdoms. These are just cultural belief systems. Yeah, and so yeah. they're so indoctrinated by cultural views that have been handed down for thousands of years. They don't actually realise that, and it has the effect of disconnecting them from people. So you often get that feeling with gurus. You get that feeling with teachers. You get that feeling with anybody who's a little bit caught up in an idea or self-grandiosity um, is that uh, you know, I'm an enlightened person is because they're actually 
um, don't realise to what extent they're not relatable, to, to what extent they're actually not relating to the here and now, even though that's the big theory. <laughs> yeah, It's not related to the here and now. It's not related to people now. It's not related to life now. It's, it's only a theory about life. So ideologies and belief systems um, spoil uh, our approach to meditation because we start using meditation to achieve a certain state or result other than the one that we are currently in. Now, this is possible. Of course, all these meditation techniques enable you to do that if you use them enough, but they won't actually ultimately satisfy the individual because that meditation is not about that individual. It's about some idealised human being or idealised state that really is not in truth, achievable, it's only something we can self-hypnotise ourselves into through the use of these so-called meditation techniques and only for short periods of time. That's why we have to use the darn things every day. Okay, so they don't work. They simply don't work. They're too, too superficial and too shallow. So this approach to meditation is what I call the outside-in approach. Outside being I'm using thoughts about myself, thoughts made up of or techniques made up of thinking, made up of visualizations, made up of breathing, whatever it may be. I'm I'm applying an ideology, I'm applying a direction to myself as a living organism that I must go in in order to achieve that meditative state. So it's an outside-in approach. And this is the problem in the world generally is that we're all influenced by the outside rather than influenced or allowed to live from the inside, yeah? And living from the inside, yeah, living from the inside, I'm reliant on whatever is inside of me. And this is not an influence, actually. This is an an expression coming from me, however I happen to be. So for me, meditation is nothing to do with an outside-in approach. This is ultimately a, a way of indoctrinating and hypnotising people uh, so they get some sort of relief, particularly those who, you know, generally people don't know much about meditation at all. What's out there in the market is very, 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 very shallow, very watered down, yeah? So people don't really understand meditation. Um, and they think that that which is out there in the marketplace is meditation. To me, it's not meditation. It's self-indoctrination. It's just more outside in influences. So in this way... Well, can I just add, add something in there? Absolutely. On that idea that it's the outside in um, and that sort of it's very superficial, what, what sort of came up for me as you were sharing that and something that I've had the experience of with meditation and going through all of the different apps over the years and following the fads and you know being told to level up that, yeah, I need to sit in silence. The, the thing that I've been challenged by as someone who, you know, and possibly we're all the same, but my personal experience is that I'm a very emotional, passionate, connected person that really, you know, loves having humans around and caring yeah. about people. And that the the modern idea or maybe the ancient idea that is now just brought forward um, with meditation is that it's all about detachment and <laughs> cutting my cutting myself off from things that I truly care about or truly evoke emotions in me, painful or happy, and that in order to become an enlightened being, I need to care about nothing. Um, and it's and 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 I, I think the world that we're in also furthers that indoctrination with the idea of social media. You know, giving yep. you the all of the highlight reels of things that you'll never have, but you you, you meant to want, um, and interactions on social media, which you know people aren't there in real life, so they can just never reply to you. So you know, you've got these superficial connections and 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 sort of all these things that are about detachment and creating space between humans and the absence. Yeah. of community. Um, and so the thing that I've really struggled with with meditation is that the idea that I need to get m- myself to a place where I don't, I'm detached or I don't care about these things that I actually really do care about and that when I'm not finally there after an hour of meditating, I go back to the person that's negatively affected by reality. Um, you know, and I've, it took me a while to get detached and into that enlightened phase. But then I just returned to life where I'm like, oh, I haven't achieved it because I still care about this stuff or it's still affecting me. Yeah, this is very, very, very well considered. Thank you, what you've put to me there. So 
the meditation that I help people understand, and I, I very much say understand, is based on a very factual, practical understanding of the human being and how we function, and this is necessary. So you need to understand something of yourself and how you function, but you also need to be able to access the or, or recognise the experience of that. So it's, it must be experiential, not just intellectual, yeah? But there is a phase of intellectual understanding. When you combine that with your own experiential understanding, then you have something worthwhile, yeah? Then it becomes something of meaning to you. Now, the, um, the point you're making there, Oh, a lot of points you made there. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, so that's okay. <laughs> so the point, but the point you're making there about detachment is very, very crucially crucial actually to everything. This is a major problem. So with with real meditation, the meditation is all about you. So being all about you, it's not about trying to reach another state, as you were saying. It's not about trying to reach a state that is not affected, a state that is not emotional, a state that is not feeling something or in pain or being affected by life because none of that is the human being in its current condition, yeah? And I will say that also I've been meditating for, I think, 45 years and I had my major epiphany, I suppose, or my major transformation happened during the period of a month, but not because of being a monk. It just happened to happen during that time. Um, and this major transformation helped me see through that. And I was able to see that, yes, this meditation that I'm using is creating states of so-called enlightened states, so-called detached states, state, steady states. And, of course, I could maintain that, but only by the repetition of, one, accepting a belief system and two, or a belief or an idea, like a detachment. And the mm. other is imposing that on myself. And what that created, actually, was a disconnection, a disassociation from myself as the body. So we become highly spiritualized, highly mentalized. So we become a mental spiritual being, which is a mental spiritual concept of uh, an, a, an image of what we are that is just created, just imagined. So once we step from the physical reality of ourselves as a body uh, into this imagined state, we lose feeling because you only this is something people don't understand a lot. You only are able to feel as a physical being. You do not feel once you're mentalizing. You do not feel the word love. You do not feel the word sadness. And you don't feel that outside of your body. You feel sadness in your body. Yeah. So feeling, you feel, you feel all feelings, all sensations as a live physical sensation in the body. Once you move into these meditation techniques that create a detachment um, from the body, um, it's not just techniques of meditation. You pointed out that the, the condition of our life on the internet, the whole thing you pointed out there was showing how, yes, the, it is a continuation of this theory of detachment from one another as human beings, disassociation, uh, desensitization, numbing out and stupefying of the human being. I know that sounds pretty harsh, but it's exactly what it's doing to us. Yeah, I think it's I'm, completely and, accurate. Yeah, yeah, and and it's been going on for thousands of years. This is not nothing new about this. Religion were the first people to do this. Yeah, and I'm not saying that against religion, but by creating a, a, an extra fantasy about the life that we are, then we can opt for that fantasy any time we like in order to remove ourselves from the discomforts of life, which is primarily why we have, I suggest, why a person is interested in spirituality, religion and so forth, is to find another place, another world, another life, another way to be because they're frightened of life now because they're not, they don't mm. understand how to deal with life now. Detachment is merely the fear of being attached and the effects of that. It's the fear of living. So you want to be detached from life and the living because you're frightened of the feelings that you will have, the sensations you will have if you don't. And you've also been indoctrinated to think somehow you are a less enlightened person if you are affected. But the fact is you are an alive person. 
if you're affected. I personally am the most sensitive person I know of, and and I'm not saying that as a comparison. It's just that I only know myself as that sensitised creature. So I personally am a very sensitised creature and I can't help but be affected by everyone and everything, including the shift of the stars and the moons and so on. We're full of water and so forth, made up of so many things that are part of this world. And as we are part of this world, made up all the things that are part of this world, we are very, very much connected and affected to this world so long as we recognise ourselves as a live, feeling, thinking, physical being, physical body being. And when we see that live, feeling, thinking, physical body being, we're now not talking about spirit. We're not talking about spiritualities. We're not talking about anything beyond life as we, all of us, can logically and fairly easily know it because we have access to that knowing. When it comes to spirituality, when it comes to the myth of enlightenment, um, which I, I, I think is a myth, enlightenment is a myth, we're suggesting that we should be in this state that is fairly consistent and unaffected by everything. But if I'm unaffected by you or anything else, there is no way for me to understand my environment, no way for me to know my environment when I am unaffected. Yeah, I need to be affected. The problem isn't being affected, but what is lacking from these traditions is the understanding of what we do with what we are affected by, what we do with these effects. Now, when, and it's very, very simple, when we mentally react, mentally react to these effects, these feelings in ourselves, then we create the distress, the pain, and the suffering that we experience and that we think we need to be detached from in order to be a stable person. So the problem isn't we don't need to be detached. It says if I'm if I'm I'm not if I'm not unattached, if I'm not detached, then I am actually alive. I'm a living being. And that is our natural state. This is the other thing. You will not be detached from someone unless you are distracting distracting yourself into um, ideas or thoughts and you won't be distra- distract, detached from your own feelings unless you are distracting yourself from your thoughts and your feelings and your state into some idea or some distraction that has pretty much nothing to do with how you are. So in this way, you actually are not enlightened. You are, you, are, you are rendering self completely ignorant to your own condition because your own condition, your own self, your own sense of yourself is the living presence of you which is only known in the feeling sensory body. It's not known through the words that we think. Yeah, It it's can't funny. be known though. It's it's funny we've got like spirituality on one end which sort of says enlightenment is being unaffected and then on the other end we've got modern psychology which says if you are unaffected by people then you're probably a narcissistic psychopath. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I you that is one of the problems. You're a nar- narcissism is a real problem in spirituality. Yeah, it's it's a huge because because spirituality is all about um, I'm going to be a better and a higher being than the one I am now. So it's all we we talk about detachment, talk about resolving the the importance of me, whereas in fact it's all about the importance of me because it's me trying to be a better me all the time, and this is the major flaw in religion and spirituality is that. There is firstly, why are we trying to be a better me? Because we are, without realizing it, in reaction to the me that I already am and or the person that I am. Now, why am I in reaction to that? Because I've been told there's a better way to be. In society, every, every aspect of society, including religions and spiritualities, are encouraging us and encouraging us to be a better person. Yeah, than the one that we are right from when we're born, or not exactly when we're born, but not very long after we're born, we're, we're encouraged to that it's important you're here for a purpose and you have to improve on yourself, you have to learn something. Whereas this is, this is not something that I have any 
uh, experience of. To me, this is not the reality of life. The reality of life is I was born complete and I came into this world. I, in fact, came out of this world. If, I'm talking the reality and facts here. I was born from my mother's womb <laughs> and my mother's womb is the, is the beginning of my life as I can possibly know myself without using thoughts or fantasies of any other kind, yeah, or drugs and so on, you know, psychedelics, etc. without using any any manipulation of my chemistry, which I can assure you as a monk I did tons of, not through drugs but through med- meditation techniques through which you could manipulate your chemistry, therefore manipulate your experience of, your, of what you thought was still yourself but, of course, was not. It was a manipulated diversion from yourself. But back to what I'm saying, the spiritualists and the religious person have this notion that we are something that came into the world from somewhere else, wherever the hell that may be. You know, everyone's got their own version of that. And we came into the world meaning that we're not really part of this world. We're here to learn something, improve on ourselves and, and evolve to another state. So this straight away we're seeing ourselves, we're presuming that we are somehow flawed and we are here to improve. This has not been my experience, and I do not agree with that at all, and I see the harm of this. My experience is that I came into this world to express something unique, and for some reason or another, that's what I've spent my life doing. I'm entirely myself. I'm, I'm not, I'm not um, I am influenced by society, of course, but only to a point, <laughs> and only to the point that I can interact with it. But there is a solid sense of myself that seriously hasn't changed. I'm 63 years old. I've never learned anything. I've never improved on anything. I've learned information, but I've never, I've never increased myself or improved myself or enhanced on myself ever. All that's all I've ever done is is try to regather myself, or not try to, but I've managed to regather myself and heal myself and decondition myself whenever I've been affected in a, in a more a, a way that actually brings me down from the, the fact of myself as I am. So to me, there is no, I'm not in this plan, I'm not, I haven't come here to achieve something. I've come out of the world and as an expression of our world, of our planet, of our um, natural world in order to bring something new and unique into the world and that's exactly what I've lived my life doing I'm not I know that from within myself because I've I've found what has brought that about is I see the problems of the world which stimulates a unique and a new response to that from inside of what I was born to be so I was born to be whatever person I've become and I say this is nothing special this is unique Uh, this is common to all of us we all were born to express something unique, but we haven't allowed the babies to grow unfettered by how we've trained them to be. So we've gradually distorted that individual and given the individual the ideology that you need to get educated, you need to learn things, and you need to improve on yourself in every possible way, which is what is this? the message inherent in that is that you are somehow flawed and incomplete as you are, which simply is not true. But as long as you go with that and you're trying to improve yourself, you're giving yourself that message constantly, undermining any um, achievement you might get that would never satisfy you because underneath that you're saying, I'm just not good enough. And the action of trying to improve yourself is only uh, only confirming that deep belief in yourself that I'm not good enough. And this is not a belief that we are born with. This is the societal um, distortion of the human species is that we, this is how I see it. We have distorted our experience of life because what you said before with detachment, we've disconnected from our in our natural self. We've disconnected from nature and we the, the, the evidence is out there in the world is that we are the most destructive creatures to ourselves because we 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 criticize, we judge, uh, we run ourselves down, yeah, because we've been taught to think this way. We've had experiences that confirm that, so we still think that way, uh, which has actually been done to us by other people, <laughs> yeah. Um, but no experience of ourself 
other than the harm, that's the effect that's left inside of us from being traumatised. Otherwise, there is no experience of ourselves that backs up that we are inadequate, that we are lesser. This is a big statement. It's hard for people to get to at first, but this is something I help people get to, is that you're not here to improve yourself. I'm here to help you see that you don't even know that whether you like or dislike yourself, you're not in a position to judge or criticise yourself until you have experienced yourself as you really are and that means you have to experience yourself without that the effects of that judgment changing how you feel about yourself. So you've got to get past that in order to even experience yourself as you really are, however those feelings may be inside of you, and then tell me whether you like yourself or not. And what I would suggest is you will find out for yourself and from yourself, not from the world outside of you and not from me, but for yourself and from yourself, you will discover in feeling yourself as you are, you will ultimately discover that you don't dislike these feelings of yourself. You don't, um, they're not wrong. They're not bad. They're there for a reason and they will take you deeper into the healing process of anything that needs to be healed and they, you will find, are exactly what you want in your life. You want those feelings if you know how not to react to them. And that's why no understanding is needed. Um, whereas in the traditions, they don't understand reaction. It's such a simple thing. They don't understand that through reaction, through thinking, of, through thinking harshly in the wrong ways about ourselves, we suffer. No matter what condition you're in, really, pain of any level, if we don't judge it and criticise it, but if we learn to feel it as a sensation in the body, the suffering of it decreases till it's not there and what actually is there is a relief. It's a relief to feel your sadness. It's a relief to finally feel that grief. It's even a relief to feel strong physical pain and trauma. It's a relief to feel it because when you feel it, you're in touch with it. Once you're in touch with it, it starts to change it starts to heal up until that point it just feels stuck and so you feel frustrated and you feel at odds with that and this is where demystifying meditation to being all about the body has been what i've been doing a demystifying to being all about the sensations of you in the body and having really nothing to do with your thinking at all because thinking is a, a learned thing uh, added on top it's not something that is important in meditation what's important is what causes you to have those thoughts about yourself and that is a deeper feeling or sensation of you inside of you once you're in touch with that it starts to heal and process you start to become comfortable with the way you are uh, and also as you get in touch with those feelings your thinking just dissipates so Thinking ceases to be a problem in meditation with the right approach and traditional approaches are not the right approach to uh, reaching um, that depth of yourself because it's got to be in the body. Um, so I think you go, you go ahead. I think I said a lot there. <laughs> so picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you'll receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. 
Yeah, I've got. So, I've, I want to go off on so many tangents, but the first one that I want to come to is because I really want to talk about exactly what you mean by feeling and emotion and those okay. words. Because I think in the in the world of you know of anybody listening that wants to um, is interested in growth and change and, and exposure to different things, that clarifying what what you mean with those things is important. But first, in contrary to the idea. Um, that you're sharing and just maybe a bit of a challenge that's yeah. coming up for me that I, I want to talk about is Good. the this idea that, you know, being in pursuit of wanting to be better is fundamentally judging poorly who you are now. I, c- I can understand that idea. However, the only way for me to have ever found you is to have been incredibly interested for a very long time in wanting to be a better version of myself because the previous version of me did damage, did harm to other people, yes. um, did harm to myself caused a tremendous amount of loss through my choices, through my reactions to life, which were arguably based in trauma. And so this idea that um, of people wanting to be better and being disappointed with where they're at in the current iteration of the matrix that we're all plugged into, yes. that is what that, that, that exact mentality is what, how I came to find you. Right. And so, uh, so with all of the, the answers and the answers are possibly different for everybody in order for us to arrive at the place where we're like, Oh, I am fine. There is nothing wrong with me. I am okay. I am worthy of love. I feel like in, in this world that we're in, where it is a very thinking based world, we need to think that way in order to arrive there eventually. Yeah, this is fair enough. Um, And this is the paradox. This is the difficulty. So up in this point, it's got you to to this point. But that person you were who was destructive and traumatised and so forth and destructive to yourself and destructive to other people was also the person that you yourself didn't have a way of, I'm I'm jumping a little bit here, tell me it's not true, but there was a person that you yourself didn't have a way of really understanding. Yeah. Correct. So in that state of being destructive, in that state of being um, traumatised, in that state of being miserable and so on, and you wanted to be a better person, that's what you knew. And so this is totally understandable. But at that point, you didn't have the understanding um, of the significance of the person you were. You had no way of really understanding the person you were and why you were the way you were. So you just continued to be that way. You had no way to do anything else with it, yeah? And so you've done well to get yourself this far, to be honest, yeah? But still, um, that it's so in that sense, it seems like it's not a bad thing. And really, that's a very interesting paradox because ultimately... I don't really think anything that happens in life is necessarily a bad thing so long as one day you wake up to the fact of it, yeah? Um, And if you don't ever wake up to the fact that you were a destructive, traumatised, so-on person, then that that is going to just continue and into more destructiveness and more misery, yeah? So does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And another paradox is that, Yes, we, we can improve ourselves on a physical level. If I want bigger biceps, well, I can go to the gym and I can improve on that, yeah? Mm-hmm. But that's not really – that's an improvement on a physical, tangible level. I can improve my situation financially. I can improve, I can improve myself uh, with knowledge and so forth. This is all fairly superficial. You know, knowledge that I can use to to get a new degree and therefore improve the quality of my material life. Nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to the understand ourselves as we actually are as a living being, what I'm suggesting is that is not something we can, uh, the more we try and improve on that, the more we keep ourselves spinning our wheels because when we're trying to improve on that, we don't realise that we are also undermining our ourselves in that. So it's very difficult. It's easy enough to improve the standard of your life and therefore improve bits and pieces throughout your life, you know, get a happier, happier lifestyle, a healthier lifestyle. This is absolutely essential part of life, yeah? Mm-hmm. But we can do it without the misery. <laughs> we, can, we can do it without... Sign um, me up. <laughs> Yeah, without the misery of um, overriding ourselves because that part of ourselves doesn't fit with our goals in that part of our life, yeah? So Mm -hmm. if we're trying to improve ourselves, 
in that process, the I think you'll find you probably caused yourself a bit of harm at times too because you ignored yourself or overridden yourself or forced yourself to do things that weren't necessarily taking in the full picture of yourself because at that time you wouldn't know how to include that damaged part of yourself in the healthy behaviours that you were learning and introducing into your life. Would that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense because okay. they, they're very much parts that feel completely out of control and and even unconscious, you know, like oh. and, and it took many times around the cycle in order to be able to become aware and see it, you know, that sort of metacognition thing of, of thinking about what's actually happening, thinking about thinking and being and, and I felt like for me that was the first step is that, oh, I can observe, observe a layer of thought with another layer of thought um, and, and that was the first step of seeing myself for what's really happening rather than reacting, not really remembering what happened because I was so in an automatic response to a, yes. to a trigger or to a situation. Yes. And then afterwards being like, I don't even remember what happened because it was so, maybe you could even argue, animalistic and just a total raw expression of pain and suffering or lack of control or whatever it is. Yeah. Interesting enough when you say animalistic, it's a very good term. However, and I, I don't ever see... Animal, unless they're traumatized, which is only domesticated animals, but you don't really see animals operating in this disconnected, uncertain way. Um, yeah, they're, they're very certain about what they do. They don't feel the mm. lion doesn't feel, oh, I've just killed an antelope. He doesn't sit down and have a you know a session with himself over it. He's not upset about <laughs> that. It's completely within the boundaries of his natural world. Yeah. yeah. So he's doing what he doesn't he's need being. to process his guilt. <laughs> no, he doesn't have he guilt. Eats it. Yeah, he exactly. Eats it. So his, his life is very much driven by um, his natural state, and which is yeah. not, I would argue, is not unconscious at all. There's, it's, it's entirely a felt state, a feeling state, a mm-hmm. feeling of hunger and so on, yeah, a feeling of uh, it's not rage, it's not I want to hurt that animal, it's I want to eat that animal, it's ultimately I need the most powerful, one, one of the two most powerful urges we have is the urge to survive, and every single animal has that. And the other one is to procreate. <laughs> yeah. So, and this is all to do with very basic, you know, very basic urges. Now, when you're saying it, it, it gets paradoxical, but it's not. It actually will be clear is that we we see that yes, I can I can go and improve myself on a physical level, um, but you think of this. This is I say I make a lot of money, and I've improved myself on a financial level. Yeah. So. And I've experienced that. I've experienced being a multimillionaire. I've experienced being broke. All sorts of things, you know, in my life, in this way. Now, it didn't ever change the way it felt to be me. And this is a crucial thing, because when you identify with physical or with material improvements, when you identify with those, you build an image of yourself based on that success. And that image of yourself says, I've improved myself. And you feel like you've, you're an improved version of what you are. But you've just built an image of yourself on what you are. And you've yeah. lost contact with yourself in the real sense of yourself. In, in a sense, what happens when we do that is we lose touch with our humanity. We lose touch with our vulnerability. We lose touch with our reality. Yeah, that the fact that we are a feeling, emotional, a sensory being, uh, a, on, a, on a basic level, we all have the same needs, we all have the same problems. When you're dealing with a relationship problem, I'm dealing with a relationship problem, $10 million in my bank account or zero doesn't make a lot of difference to the struggle of the relationship problem. Yeah, so I relate so to that I, completely. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, in in my little business journey, and it's still very little, um, and going from a day job and earning a little bit more money, um, I re- and uh, having the freedom to work from anywhere and do do my own life, I, I really realized that in the last couple of years that you know heart heartbreak, particularly just because you brought it up, or relationship troubles, it. My life situation is absolutely irrelevant to the pain that I experience. And it's the, exactly. the same pain that I've ever felt in any of those contexts my whole life. And it's like, exactly. doesn't matter if I've got a Ferrari and not that I've ever had one, but, um, yes. you know, it doesn't matter the amount of resources that I have. Yeah, the lived experience is identical. But yeah, the, the lived experience is identical. The, the real experience is identical. But through those things, through having a Ferrari, through having that image of yourself, that image can become so powerful, so strong, so overbearing that you yeah. actually lose 
touch with yourself. You lose yeah. touch with that humanity in yourself and you become what you said before about that. That's another form of detachment, but it's detachment from what you are into what you want and becoming attached to what you have or what you want. And this is, okay, you can have all those things, but can you have all those things and see that you're not identified with those things. And the identification with those things gives you the sense of you are improving on yourself, whereas you've only improved your circumstance and your situation. And that doesn't make you feel any better in yourself. And so this is where we're starting to now see the divide between self-improvement and improvement on a material, tangible level. We can improve scientifically, but we can't, you know, scientifically, we get, you know, better, better, better world on a material level to live in, but science does not have anything to do with self-understanding mm. and it never will because self-understanding is to do with the lived experience, as you put it, the lived yeah. experience. It's not something you can sit back scientifically or theoretically and become the observer of that. You can't observe that experience um, because as soon as you observe it, you change it. As soon as you mm -hmm. observe yourself, you, 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 you're not really, I won't go too far into this because it's a little bit um, off track, but you, you, the scientist needs a, a subject and an object. You know, a, a, there's an object that the subject observes and works out. Now, and even the observance, depending on what we're trying to um, prove to ourselves because of our bias being a scientist, we may see it this way, we may see it that way. So it's very, very flawed stuff. You know, mm -hmm. it gets really, really messy and it can be manipulated depending on our bias. So, so easily. So easily. And as we see in medical science today, all science is, you know, so much manipulation of the outcome so that we can sell a product or sell a drug and so on, you know. And so this is um, the the thought process of the human being. And the thought process of the human being is entirely different, and I, I will explain maybe during this talk, is entirely different from the sensory process of the human being. So the sensory process of the human being is singular. There is no argument. If you feel sad, you feel sad. If you feel hot, you feel hot. If you feel angry, you feel angry. If you feel uh, uh, hungry, you feel hungry. There's no question about it. It is a physical sensation. Now, this is a, the way we need to operate. We cannot improve on this. If we, we cannot improve on our states, well, the reason we feel upset is because we are supposed to feel upset. Now, I'm going to bring in the understanding that people get from the Undo app to really clarify this, and that is that we have been taught to think because we don't live up to the ideal picture of the human being and because we have all these other feelings that we're told are wrong or bad or, you know, we're sadness, we're depressed, we're traumatised, we can't think straight, we're like you said about yourself in the past, you are destructive, destructive to yourself, destructive to other human beings, which all of us have been. Yeah, let's face it, we all have been. You only have to look out there and see how destructive the human being is to the human being. We're the most, we're the only creature on the planet that we have good cause to be terrified of. You mm. know, and so, and so because because we're insane, yeah, because <laughs> we've lost we've lost touch with our sanity, we've lost touch with our yeah. humanity. Yeah, and so what is that? We've been traumatised. We've been treated badly because the people before us have been treated badly. We've been taught to think things about the world and about ourselves that are absolute fantasies and disconnected from anything of any purpose or reality because of religion and spirituality and because of propaganda, uh, because of other influences, because of people in power wanting to have some control over the mass or the, the group that they're in control of. So they feed them what thoughts to think about themselves and about the world. I'm just chucking something in there. You know, it's, it's, yeah. just, an in, it's just an outside-in influence. Okay. Now, we've been hurt in many ways. We've been dis disconnected from our true selves in many ways, our true organic selves in many ways. And when we're traumatised as a kid, we will, um, I'll use that as an example, just a child being traumatised, which most children are, then what's happened, even on a mild level, to be told that you're not good enough as you are, 
and therefore live the rest of your life trying to achieve the unachievable, which is a better you. And I'm going to explain this in a minute as I'm talking. This, yeah. this is not a better you. If, I'm, if I am angry, if I'm upset, if I can't relate sexually in relationships or I can't relate emotionally in relationships, I think there's something wrong with me and I need to improve on that. And I see that condition as the problem. My pain, my sickness, my mental condition, my emotional condition as the problem. It's not the problem at all. It's exactly the way you should be, exactly the way you should be. And actually is a it's a sign of the perfection. It's a it's a it's a proof of the perfection of life unfolding as an expression of itself every day meaning that if you've been treated a certain way, you will end up in a certain condition. And that condition is exactly how you should be. There is nothing incorrect about the condition the most damaged person is in. They've obviously been through something very harmful. Yeah, and how if they weren't in that condition, even the even the psychological profession will say, if if someone's died and you don't feel any loss or any grief, then you are not in a good state. You are mm. disconnected from what you need to be feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So if I've been a yeah. so if I've been abused as a child in any any form, then this is going to change my view of myself, my view of the world based on the child's world, still being a part of my makeup. Yeah. And I will operate in these ways that don't fit into the adult that I become because when I become an adult, it's time for me to function sanely and correctly. I don't have so many excuses. I'm not a child anymore. Yeah, it's time for me to mature and grow up. But we find it difficult to mature and grow up because the child inside of us, and I don't mean something like the inner child. I'm not talking on that level. I'm just saying the damage that is inside of us um, has not been resolved along the way. When it hasn't been resolved along the way, then we end up with these strange behaviours. Now, what are these behaviours? What are these conditions? They are the things our work, when our, our health, our mental and physical health and our pers- pers- personalities uh, and our actions in the world are the expressions of not our original nature but as a born child but of the, the how that was um, imposed upon by the life we've lived up until the point of becoming an adult, just as an example. And that doesn't just stop once we're an adult. It continues until we can do something about it. But what we do when we don't know what to do, we say it's wrong, it's bad. Society says it's wrong, it's bad, even though society is predominantly the cause of that condition in the human being that's wrong and bad. (laughs) So in that sense, as a society, we are entirely responsible for the people in our world that are damaged and now damaging us in return. Why are they damaging us? Is that because they're wrong? No, that's because they have been taught to live in a damaged state. That's all they know. And this is this is how they behave. They, they, they don't want to behave that way. When they start to become more aware of this, they don't want to behave that way. I've got to improve on myself. This is where we make the first mistake. No, you have to understand yourself. Yeah, understand that this is perfection, that I am operating um, with resist. I'm in a sexual relationship and I'm operating with certain resistance to having sex with my partner. I will have feelings in me that I don't understand. And these will be the feelings in this example. These could be and usually are the feelings of some very horrible sexual experiences as a younger person that I've been forced to suppress because uh, it was overwhelming for a child. It's not correct for a child to have those experiences. They're not ready, yeah? And so I'm traumatised in in, in during my life as a child in my sexual uh, sexuality being imposed on me by adults then, or, or older people. And then when I come in to try and have a relationship with another human being and I'm a sexually... Um, you know, I'm a sexually developed uh, man or woman, I find I have difficulty in uh, enjoying that sexuality because it brings up, puts me in touch with all these other awful feelings that are, that really put me off sex, let's say. Yeah? Now, this is not wrong. I haven't got a problem. I have something unfinished 
This is a part of me that is saying, okay, before you can enjoy sexuality, I need you to heal your sexual pain. You you need to heal your sexual pain that you've lost touch with, that you've lost association with, that you've completely suppressed or blocked. How do we do that? How we do that is we have to live in admission to and in touch with the person that I am as a result of everything I've been through and by feeling the distress that I have yet having yet had the sexual relationship. This is extremely difficult for people to do without guidance at first and without good understanding. And I'm taking in the most extreme case here rather than just say other addictions, which we can talk on. So what do I need to do is I need to be with those feelings um, and go ahead and have a healthy sexual relationship with my partner now anyway and in being with those feelings they will gradually come to the surface more and more and more and by feeling those awful feelings I will be processing those feelings for at at last those feelings are being triggered by the only thing that can trigger them if I have sexual pain the only thing that's going to trigger my sexual pain is sex Mm -hmm. yeah not having a beer not having a chat with someone it's got to be in the in the reality of me trying to be the part of part part of me trying to be part of the human being that I am. I'm, part of me is to procreate to be a sexual human being because I've got genitals, so that's part of me. But when I come to doing that, I find that that locked up in my genitals, locked up in those parts of me, in that feeling of me as a woman or a man, is a lot of very nasty feelings makes it very hard for me to process or makes it very impossible for me at first to to deal with that scenario. So being with those feelings, and this is a big part of what people have to learn, will learn through the app and through working with me, is we have to learn to feel those feelings in order to process and heal from those through those feelings. And this is exactly how you do it. Rather than avoid the pain, rather than saying there's something wrong with me, I've got to get rid of this, which is a misunderstanding, you say, oh, this is not something wrong with me. This is something I need to take an interest in. And if I take an interest in it, I'm now becoming interested in those parts of myself that I've lost contact with that life is now triggering inside of me, causing me to re-experience all over again. Now it's time. How do I know it's time to heal these things? Because I'm in a circumstance that I need to be healthy in and I'm unable to be. So I'm going to keep saying the circumstance, understanding how to be with those feelings and not reacting to them means that I won't project those into the circumstance of my adult life and screw that up, but I'll use the circumstance of my adult life to help me fix this up. Mm -hmm. And I'm not fixing something that's wrong. I'm responding to something that is definitely not wrong. I'm not wrong for being in that condition. It is a perfect, a perfect carry-on of life continuing to uh, hold that inside of us, you know, we as life continuing to hold that inside of us until we're ready and able and in a circumstance to deal with it and heal it. And we have lots of things to heal. And this is the perfection of nature, not the imperfection of some I, you know, not the difference between an ideal person and an, and and a damaged person. Being a damaged person does not mean you are not um, absolutely perfect. Still, that is your natural state. You naturally are like that, as you should be. But learning to not react to that, learning to deal with that correctly, has not been part of our history, our culture, our belief systems or our medical system ever, ever. And this is what I'm finding is very unique about what I'm bringing into the world because I'm just doing what I feel I was born to do, mm-hmm. be myself. And in being myself, I don't mean that some, some mystical, I'm not a prophet, I mean some mystical way, I don't mean that. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I found out I've got to find out how to deal with these things myself because society's not, and I did. I didn't find out how to deal with them. I found out how myself as a living organism deals with them. And I Mm. realised there's nothing wrong with me when I'm being destructive, but I'm just out of touch with 
not really in contact with the feelings in me that eventually express as destructive thoughts and behaviours. Yeah, and I know that it's probably implied by what you said and and obviously you know, it makes total sense in the context of sexual trauma that all of that stuff is brought up once you engage in sexuality and it's triggered and, it, and and that happens. And then I guess for many people that have, you know, relationship challenges, life challenges, it's all the other things too. The way that I've experienced trust in a family or the way that I've experienced love in a family. Um, and then you go out into the world and you sort of feel relatively together until you enter a situation in which that that experience is now being uh, had as an adult, but has a, a few stories from the past and a few experiences from the past that have, you know, quote unquote, damaged or broken or or fractured something within you. And then, of course, you know, you react to it and push it away or try and get away from it because you haven't sat with and understood that part of yourself uh, to a point where it's an acceptable part of yourself and it comes out of you in a managed way. Exactly. This is why I say this is why I ceased being a monk because you do not have this opportunity of real life um, as a monk. And because you don't have this opportunity of real life, you're not put in touch with most of what you're able to override in the monastic environment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In real life, this is the place where a person becomes enlightened is in real life. And I don't mean enlightened in the mystical sense. It's an awful word. In the real sense, in the tangible sense, one needs to understand themselves. Yeah, You need to understand yourself. And you're going to get, but the thing is, we will only get that understanding of ourselves from ourselves because only we are ourselves. No one knows us as we will be able to know ourselves once we learn to feel again. So knowing ourselves is when we feel we are hot, we are cold, we are sad, we are distressed, we know we are that way. Yeah, And we only know that because we can feel it. I only know I exist because I can feel it. I only know my hand exists as long as I can feel it. If you inject it with um, something and if it's anything, Anesthetized. Anesthetized. <laughs> yeah, that's the word. It was anesthetized. I can look at the damn thing. I can think about it, but I can't really know it exists. I can't feel my existence as a hand. Yeah. Feeling it's a bizarre experience when that happens. <laughs> it's bizarre. Yeah. So, really, our feeling, felt sense of ourselves as a body is feeling the very presence and the condition of ourselves as we are at whatever point we are in our life, which is not mm -hmm. a better or worse point than any other point we are in our life. But that's very difficult for people to get at first because of traditionals, traditional belief systems around this. So mm -hmm. you are not got you you are never at a better or worse point. I'm not at a better point now in my life than I was when I was younger. I'm at a different point. I'm at a different point. Um and in some ways that makes it easier. Yeah. In other ways, uh, I find it more difficult to go for a 20 kilometer run. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I can only do, I'm happy to do a five or 10 kilometer run. Yeah. So it's different. It's always, or, you know, when yeah. I was, yeah. So anyway, back to what we were talking about on the series, uh, your, your point is you come into life, you deal with life. And why can't we deal with life is because we don't know how to, accept ourselves and what isn't acceptance of ourselves. How great is this guy? I tell you what I love about Matthew's ideas is the absence of superiority and ego and spiritual gaslighting that kind of goes on amongst quote unquote evolved personally developed people. It's so refreshing. All right, so because this conversation was so epic and I know our average listener gets on with their day about now, I've decided to chop this episode into two for the audio. You can, of course, see the whole thing on YouTube. The link for that is in the show notes below. Or if you're like 99% of people who hang out with us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all of the other apps, then part two of this conversation, which gets much deeper into intimate relationships, your own personal triggers with romantic partners, sexuality, the anatomy of your feelings and how to physically not intellectually, process and release those feelings. I personally think Matthew is a brilliant human being doing incredible work. So I hope you've enjoyed this part one and you're ready to jump into part two on episode 313. 
Links to Matthew's social media and the Undo app are down below, so check those out. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavor to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.